It is Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. Welcome to episode 78 of Toe in the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. It is pitching discussions each and every week. We always do it with the five-time World Series champ and the former Cy Young Award winner, David Cohn, the research master, James Smythe, myself, Justin Shackle, producer Dan Wark is doing all the hard work as well as he sticks with us throughout this podcast. And we have seen the new rules, guys. 2023, about to start with the new rules. We've seen them now in effect for nearly a week in spring training games. It is all anyone is talking about around baseball. So we decided to have the people who put out and are enforcing the new rules on the show this week. Major League Baseball's uh, Senior VP of On-Field Operations, Raul Abanez, and the VP of On-Field Strategy, Joe Martinez. They are with us this week. Before we get to Raul and Joe, we go straight to the opener right out of the gate. David, you called and watched some games this week in spring training action. What were your overall impressions of the new rules? Well, you know, baseball has been around almost 150 years, right? And uh, there's never been a clock. That's always been the old cliche with baseball that separates it from other sports. There's not a clock in baseball. The pitcher, nothing happens till the pitcher throws the ball. Well, that's changed. And I think early reviews are really very positive. Uh, there are some purists who aren't going to like it some purists that are going to be hard to adjust to. But nonetheless, I think one thing we can all agree on is that the dead time in baseball has increased dramatically over the last couple of decades. There used to be about two and a half minutes between action before something happened in a, in a particular baseball game, any given, any given game. And that was up to almost four minutes. So a minute and a half of dead time over the last couple of decades has crept, crept into the game that's now eliminated, and I think that's something we all can agree on. There will be bumps in the road. There will be some hiccups along the way and, uh, and subtle nuances that, that need to be uh, dealt with. But uh, nonetheless, I think early reviews are really good, and the players are adapting very well. And I think we're going to see a crisp Christmas to the game, uh, along with base hits falling in. You know, uh, ground balls getting through a little more often as well. So, yeah, I think a little more action so far as what we've seen, and that's been the intent, intent behind the rule. I think what's been striking me is how normal it all seems and the constant extension of the time between pitches is still pretty new last 10, 15 years. These games are more like a game from when I was a kid or from when you were a kid. And you look at how the time a game has gotten longer. The average nine inning game in the majors was 303. They're trying to cut that down. The first year of the minor league rules last year, they, with the pitch clock, they cut out 25 minutes. I don't know if we're going to get 25 minutes in the major leagues this year, but Travis Sawchick, um, one of the uh, great baseball writers, uh, looked at the times of the first 40 spring training games this year from the weekend and into Monday. The average was two hours and 37 minutes. That's a 21 minute drop from last year, 258. If regular season games drop by 21 minutes this year, then the average time a game would be 242 in the major leagues this year, which would be the shortest since 1985. Now that's a big drop, but it's also not that alien of, a, of an experience to have a two hour and 42 minute game. That's a generation ago. It wasn't too long ago that game, there wasn't this kind of dead time between pitches all the time. And now there is a Christmas. There's a focus between the pitcher and the batter confrontation that you're, when you're watching the game, you're locked in on the pitcher and batter because you know the next pitch is coming right up. Yeah, this all along 
hasn't been a focus on how to shrink the time of game. It's about how to increase the crispness of the games. And that's what we're seeing. You mentioned games reminding us of errors from the past. I'll tell you what, it's like a combination of those errors from maybe the 70s, 80s and mid to late 90s, James. But also you combine it with today's athletes. It's very different. It's just a new product and i think people uh, over time and i don't think it's going to be necessarily a very long time are going to come around and enjoy it i think the people who are kind of throwing the fist up at the sun they're going to go back and maybe uh, a month or two not that long again they're going to wish they never tweeted out how you know baseball is being ruined because it's going to be a complete afterthought uh you mentioned the amount of games that may play i was you know i, I was thinking that Look, during the regular season, we're not going to see what we saw between the Braves and the Red Sox in their spring training game where the game ended because of a a clock violation. I don't think it's going to happen at all. You mentioned, I mean, how many games, if you do the math, are are out there for this year? 2,430. That's why I think, yeah, you know what? Maybe we do get one. Yeah. But it's not going to be uh, constant chaos around around baseball, even in the first month. Right. I think we're already starting to see people adapt that all the headlines from the Braves Red Sox game the other day. But then again, the, the first two Yankees spring training games that we had on yes, that I, that I worked and watched uh, every pitch, it, it was unnoticeable how uh, with the clock and everything, there were a couple of times where the clock was running down or uh, there was a spot with Wandy Peralta where there's a runner at first and he's out of disengagements. And he's like, and you're thinking, is the runner going to, is the runner going to take off? Is Wandy going to go to the plate? So that added an interesting element to it, but there wasn't this uh, cloud looming over the game of, of this anxiety over the clock. It just felt like a normal game. And most of the time, the pitcher would get the ball from the catcher. He, they, you get the sign and, and he pitches and the batter's ready to go. And the, the clock never even comes into play because there's still nine seconds left. Yeah, so we, we discuss about the, the possibility of, of games ending with a violation with Joe and Raul. And we'll, 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 let's get right to that interview because that is the uh, the crux of this episode. Again, these are the people that put these rules in place. They're the ones who are enforcing them. They're overseeing them. And they are the go-to men to uh, discuss uh, the in and outs of all of the new rules that are in play for 2023. Again, it's uh, Major League Baseball's Senior VP of On-Field Operations, Raul Abanez, former hitter and former pitcher Joe Martinez, who's the VP of On-Field Strategy for Major League Baseball. Those two are our guests this week on Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. Raul, Joe, thanks so much for joining us. I know you guys are being kind of pulled in every which direction, especially this spring training. Um, based on the first four to five days of spring training games with the new rules being enforced, what change has been the most controversial among the players that you've heard from? Good, Raul. Joe, um, I, I, you know, I don't know about controversial. It's a really good question. So we're hearing... Um, back is that I'm hearing a lot of excitement and enthusiasm about, um, you know, how much better the pace of play is and getting off the field sooner, particularly in spring training. I think the, the only thing that you, um, what the one thing that's been surprising to me uh, in watching has been um, how many singles I'm seeing. There's a lot, a lot of base hits that are going through the infield. The balls that go up the middle are base hits again. You know, balls that get uh, pulled in the hole by either righty or lefty. Um, that one's been surprising. But I, I'm hearing, I'm hearing um, some enthusiasm and energy, including out of you know New York last year's MVP was 
seems really excited about, about the pitch timer. What about you, Joe? What's grabbed your attention the most? Yeah, maybe actually the lack of controversy more than anything, right? It's been, um, it's been pretty calm. Um, you know, the, we know that the baseball community is kind of, you know, uh, behind us with this and, and supports a lot of these changes. Um, you know, individuals are going to have feelings and kind of on a spectrum of, of how favorably they view some of these things. Um, but in general, like we, we've had, you know, Alex Cora recently come out, you know, guys who are light, lifelong baseball people, like, you know, real solid baseball men, you know, say that they, they're in favor of this and think we're heading in the right direction. And that's been fantastic to hear and, and really kind of makes us feel good that they're behind us. So maybe, maybe that's maybe the most surprising is that there's been a lack of controversy. Yeah. You know, uh, Raul and Joe, I think, um, one of the questions I had was, you know, obviously, you know, the players will adapt, you know, they, they have no choice. They have to adapt, but if there's some tweaking that maybe you guys see may need to be done or subtle little nuances, is that something that can be done on the fly in the season? Or is that something that'll sort of hold over to next year as you reevaluate everything as more info comes in? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, from like a, a tweaks perspective, you know, I think the regulations themselves are largely set. However, there are like some small tweaks that we're, we're doing right. And, and getting feedback from umpires, players, everyone on, you know, exactly, you know, when the clock starts, you know, where we need to maybe provide a little bit more flexibility, things like that, which we can do more by, 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 you know, uh, updating guidance to the teams and, and to the umpires. Um, so we're always looking, I think, to make some refinements, um, you know, particularly as we, you know, ramp up towards, towards the regular season and the games that matter. So some small tweaks for sure. We're trying to make sure this is the best possible version of the rule that we have before before the regular season gets going. Um, but it's in terms of like kind of, you know, the, the time limits and all that type of stuff, like I think that's largely set at this point. You know, I think we, we saw one situation you know, along those lines. We saw one situation in, in one of the games yesterday, I think uh, one of the Cleveland games where the pitcher asked for a new ball. I'm sure I'm sure you guys probably saw that. And then the clock yeah. didn't reset. So is that one of the little tweaks we're looking at? Is there going to be some leeway there for the umpire? Or is that sort of gamesmanship where, the, you know, pitcher's looking to, to stall? He asked for a new baseball. And will the clock reset or not? Is that up to the umpire's discretion? Yeah, so so in that situation, that was Karen check on the mound. Um, and he ended up getting uh, called for a violation. The, the clock is supposed to reset in that situation. So So that was a little bit of an error. Um, on the part of, of the FTC, the clock operator up in the press box, um, you know, they're still getting used to some of the pace as well. And, and some of the, the finer points of the regulations, you know, we're very confident with some practice that's going to, that's going to be eliminated. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a great example, right? Like if, if it wasn't that way and we determined like, okay, maybe this isn't fair. We, we think we need to, you know, reset the clock instead. We'd definitely be open to making that change if it needed to be done. There's going to be some umpire discretion throughout this in a lot of different areas, right? This isn't, um, it seems like there are a lot of uh, hypotheticals that are kind of gotcha situations, but what if a player tries to do this? What if a player tries to do that? There's, there's going to be um, discretion on the part of the umpires, right? You want to take that one, Raul? I'm sorry, I've been living this for, for like the last two years or so, so I got a lot to say. Um, there, there definitely is some, some umpire discretion involved. Um, and I would say it's kind of around the edges and where adjustments need to be made, right? You put this framework in place and these times in place and, and you know, 95% of the game is just going to kind of fall within what's, what's acceptable and, and what's planned for. Um, but then things happen, right? Guys, you know, their shoe comes untied or their helmet falls off. And, you know, you have to have a little bit of, of ability to, to, to have some discretion, you know, stop the timer, reset it, things like that. So, 
Um, our umpires, you know, have a great grasp of all the regulations, not just this one. Um, and we trust them, you know, as the as the eyes and, and ears on the field, really to, to take control of the game, to direct, you know, both the players on the field and the, and the clock operator up in the booth um, to make sure everything stays consistent, stays within what's what's provided for in the regulations and is fair for both clubs that are on the field. You know what? You know, one of the things I love here is, is you guys are so diverse in terms of the personnel that are behind the scenes kind of driving this. Raul is a former hitter. Joe, your your pitching background. You know, Raul, as a hitter, as a former pit hitter, what are some of the challenges that you've heard or that you foresee as you were coming up with the sort of the your your advice on on the background of a lot of these changes, especially the clock? Well, the the uh, the clock, the adjustment period, Coney, I, I think is going to. I don't think it's going to be a huge adjustment, but it is going to be an, an adjustment um, just to be able to uh, finish your routine. Right. Guys are going to have to condense their routines a little bit and finish it. Um, I do remember years ago, you know, early 2000s, they had this thing where it was like, don't leave the batter's box, like one foot in the box. So that was an adjustment. I remember that adjustment period in spring training. And I think pretty much for the rest of my career, I just kind of tried not to leave the box. So did, did the whole thing. So I think from a routine perspective, that's going to be the adjustment. On defense, as you know, you know, playing behind a, a guy like you that worked quick, um, you know, what I'm hearing is guys are really enjoying the defensive aspect of it, especially playing behind guys. It's crisp. Uh, you have to, you know, be locked in, be dialed in every time. It was like... Um, you know, it was like playing behind. I got to play with Jared Washburn and and Cliff Lee, and those guys worked so fast. And you know, when when we got Cliff Lee in Philly, uh, Connie, the guys on the team were like, "What's what's Cliff like?" I said, "Whatever happens, good or bad, is going to happen fast." So he's gonna, yeah. he's going to get the ball. He's going to get his sign. And he's going to go right at you, and, and he's going to pump strikes right, go right after hitters. So playing defense um, is what I'm hearing. Guys are really excited about. But as far as in the batter's box, I've, I've heard, you know, stuff from some guys where, yeah, I'm, I'm adjusting, I'm adapting my routine. But then I've heard from other guys that are just like, eh, it's just a little bit quicker. We mentioned the the umpire's discretion and the role that they play. They're probably going to be busier than ever. But what uh, within the new rules is reviewable for managers? Yeah, nothing. Honestly, the umpire's discretion with respect to, to, these, to these regulations at the pitch timer is not reviewable, um, similar to like balls and strikes. Uh, the, the shift restriction, however, right, which is another rule that we have, you know, going in this year, um, all elements of that are reviewable. So if a player, um, right, an infielder has his, his feet on the grass when he shouldn't um, or is on the wrong side of second base, um, say an umpire is, is uh, you know, got a lot to do and, and is looking somewhere else, you know, at that, at that particular time, um, the other team can challenge. And, and, and in that way, they're going to hold each other accountable, which will be nice. With, with shifting, and I think of how, you know, teams hire people to find the latest competitive edge as, as often as possible, right? Like what is, what is being done to prevent circumvention because when i read the shift rules over the winter the first thing that popped into my head was like hey we're going to probably see like fielders go in motion like wide receivers in football um right before pitches are thrown or in the active pitches being thrown is that okay and you know what's going to be done to prevent teams from trying to cut around some of these corners if for that specific one, that's written into the rule, actually, as, as an attempt in circumvention, and umpires can can penalize that as well, just as they would a normal violation of the rule. So any any infielder going in motion, trying to time the release of a pitch and 
and gain ground either to like the pull side of a lefty or, or depth if you're a second baseman. Um, they're not going to be permitted to do that. So um, we, we tried to, to try to kind of like get ahead of some of those things. And you're right. Um, you know, uh, baseball, baseball front offices are, are kind of flush with super smart people, smarter than, than me, maybe not role, but definitely me. Um, and they'll continue to find ways to, to exploit kind of the margins, right. And, and get small advantages. Um, we just have to be, I think, um, as proactive as we can in, in trying to close any loopholes that we may have left open. Yeah, Raul, I think, uh, you know, just listening to Max Scherzer's comments yesterday, you know, we, we did the game for ESPN and, uh, with the Mets and Cardinals and, you know, maybe a little bit of it's taken out of context, but he's talking about what an advantage for the pitchers to be able to play, especially with men on first base. And he, he could just hold the ball. He could quick pitch one time, hold the ball because the, the batter's at a disadvantage because he can only call one time out or one step out or whatever, whatever that is. So when you hear somebody like Max Scherzer say that, what, I mean, do you think there's credence to that? I, I think it's easy, easier said than done for a pitcher to hold the ball for 12 seconds and then deliver it and not mess up his own timing. But you know, what's your reaction when you hear Max Scherzer say something along those lines? I, my, my take on it is, is what a, what a great competitor, like that's a true ace. And he's, yeah. he's viewing it from his perspective of how he's going to use, it's not a circumvention. He's going to take advantage of the rules to help him competitively. I would expect nothing less than that type of mindset from, from a guy like Max Scherzer, who's, you know, that's, that's an, that's an ace and alpha male. And that's how he thinks about the game. And absolutely. I, I, I would expect nothing less from him. Um, and I'm sure it's something that he's going to have to work on. And from a hitter's perspective, you would probably be thinking the same way. I'd be thinking, Hey, this is an advantage for me because now, you know, he can't, the pitcher can't take 25, 30 seconds to throw his best stuff. So I think it's just a matter of perspectives and I would expect nothing less from a, you know, a hall of famer like Max Scherzer. You know, one of the um, anticipated outcomes, something that I think it was Steve Stone who brought it up because watching the White Sox game over the weekend with, with pitching, just with the, the pace of pitching, um, you're going to see fewer pitchers kind of rear back and be able to, you know, rip it. Um, it's anticipated, I think, that the average fastball velocity is going to go down. We're going to see more of the art form uh, of pitching. Is that something that, Joe, I mean, is that something that's, you know, forecasted with these new rules in place? Yeah, forecasted, I don't think so. Right When we looked in the minor leagues, right, in testing in over 8,000 games, right, we had these pitch timer rules in place. Um, we didn't see uh, a significant change to velocity. It was actually flat from year to year. Now, I guess you could argue since velocity increases year over year for the last however many years that a, you know, no increase is almost like a decrease, right? Like a de facto decrease. Um, however, I don't think we're forecasting that, but if that's a result, like, I don't, I don't think that's a bad thing, right? If, if, if some of that art form of pitching, um, you know, something that I grew up loving, right? Watching guys like El Duque pitch for the Yankees, right? Different arm angles, different breaking balls, change up tempo, stuff like that. If that becomes uh, something that pitchers want to work in to, to gain more of an advantage or keeps keep batters off balance, um, I don't I don't think it's a bad thing, but I don't think we're necessarily expecting it. There are a lot of direct. There's a lot of direct impact that these rules have, and then some downstream indirect things. Do you guys have um, target numbers in mind for uh, what you want the time of game to be by the end of the season? Violations per game league-wide batting average, batting average on balls in play, stolen base attempts per game or, or stolen base success rate. Are there numbers that you're looking at say, we want things to be in this range? 
I don't think we have target numbers per se, right? I think you want to see those numbers move in a favorable direction, right? You, I think we'd all love to see batting average go up. We'd like to see, we'd like to see strikeout percentage go down. Um, you know, pace of game, obviously, we want to see it, it decrease, right? Overall game time. Um, and then some of like those other key metrics, like time between pitches and all that. Um, you know, I, I think when you, when you, you know, speak about, um, you know, what we saw, it's probably easier to talk in those terms, right? So um, in the minor leagues, we saw like a 25 minute savings on average game time. Um, we didn't see significant change in like gameplay metrics as far as, you know, batting average and strikeout percentage, strikeout percentage went down, I think 1%, which is better, which is good, although not like super significant. Um, and then for violations, you know, I think we just want to see a similar trend and we are expecting to see a similar trend to what we saw in the minor leagues, right? Early on, we saw about two violations per game, which is what we're seeing now in spring training. Um, and then, you know, by the time we got to week five, we were, we were under one violation per game. And then we kind of hit a steady state at about one violation every two games. And if we can, if we can get there, that, that'd be fantastic while still, you know, seeing the benefits, um, taking that dead time out, but, but still leaving the action in the game. And if we can see even more action, that'd be great. You know, I think one of the things we've seen in the early going here, and I noticed in yesterday's game in particular, was just a little more athleticism, a little more weight on the middle infielders to have to move more and make a play as opposed to a ground ball according to an algorithm, just hit right at somebody, right? How many times have we seen that over the last several years? So I think that's one byproduct of it. And I agree with you, Raul. I think we mentioned it earlier. You mentioned it earlier that the hitter's reaction to ground balls getting in the hole through to the outfield or up the middle, it was palpable. I mean, I could really just see them just almost giddy when they get to first base. So, you know, I I think that's probably something that that's pretty welcome. I'm sure that you guys talked about in the background and in developing this, this sort of a plan. Yeah, yeah, Coney, um, I, I talked to, a, I don't think I mentioned this yet, but I talked to a big league hitting coach yesterday, and one of the things in the dugout was he said, he said the coaches were talking about the single is sexy again, so, so they're getting excited, guys are getting excited because you used to hit, you know, it's not even the balls that are to the pull side, it's you're hitting a line drive over the second base bag, and there's a guy standing there, so just, um, you know, it's going to encourage guys to put more balls in play as well. But, but you're right. I, I have noticed that as well, where guys are almost surprised when they hit a ball back up the middle and they're like, Oh, it's a base hit. Yeah. And then the movement of the middle infielders, it, it, now they're forced to, to show their athleticism. I think it was Francisco Lindor that said that last year that he was in favor of this because he wants to, he wants to play shortstop. You know, he wants to show off his range and his athleticism and he doesn't want to be, doesn't want to have to be slave, a slave to the algorithm. So I think we've already seen that in the early goings. I'm, I'm sure that's a positive result, you know, in the background in major league baseball and what, what they're looking for. That's a really positive result. And so, some of the stuff that we heard over the last couple of years from middle infielders, especially was that very same thing, that same sentiment that, that Lindor said, so I'm, I'm a great athlete. I'm a shortstop or a second baseman. Let me, let me be free. Let me play with my, use my instincts and my savvy and position myself a little bit more. Um, and, and, you know, fans come to the ballpark. They want to see me make a great diving play or be able to make a play in the hole and do the Jeter jump to first instead of the ball being hit right to me. So um, yeah, we, we were hearing that in the past and, um, and it's really encouraging to see it early on. Well, Joe, just to go back to some of the nuances of the pitch clock, because instead of having a hitter be penalized because he's not ready at the eight second mark, Evan Longoria was suggesting that a pitcher should be able to throw at the eight second mark and earn, uh, theoretically still have to earn the strike. Right. So and even, even if the batter is not ready. Right. 
So what, you know, what is preventing the pitcher from, um, you know, maybe it's safety reasons for the hitter, but Hey, a hitter knows that a pitch will be coming like, Hey, get ready. Um, Was that something that was, was being considered when um, these, these rules were being thought of? Um, So I'm, I'm not sure that exactly was right. And I think you, you put your finger on one of them as a safety concern, right? You can't have a pitcher throwing a pitch if a batter's not ready. That's just not something we want to do, um, right? Because it could potentially be unsafe. Um, you know, I, I think also there are, there are rules on the rule book that have existed for 100 years that you'd be violating or would have to change in that case as well, right? Like, um, you know, a quick pitch, which, you know, we're not talking about when a, when a pitcher just picks up his tempo and, and kind of throws a, a pitch with a quicker tempo. Um, it's, it's a pitcher delivering a pitch before a batter has, you know, time to get set in the box and ready to hit. So, you know, we wanted to try to like continue with those same standards, right? The best game is, is a pitcher's ready, a pitcher's ready, you know, here we go, you know, may the, may the best man win kind of, kind of situation. Um, so, you know, I don't think we wanted to introduce that, you know, the, the violation part is, is unfortunate in some ways. You just need penalties to make sure everyone complies, you know, with the standards. And like Raul said, I think once, you know, routines are established and guys get used to kind of moving at this pace, those violations are going to become more and more infrequent. You guys mentioned the the amount of games that it took uh, in the minor leagues to kind of compile all this data. I think the number was eight thousand. Was that correct? Yeah, I think just north of eight thousand. How? And I know there, you know, maybe uh, you said it before. You know, they got down to a point where maybe there'd be like one or two violations um, per night, right? But like, how how far along did it take until a lot of these new rules just were an afterthought? I don't think they were ever an afterthought. I mean, for the players, they got they got adjusted pretty quickly, right? We did some surveying um, of the minor league players last year, and and I think it was around ninety percent said that they were adjusted within a month, right? So and and the and majority of that ninety percent said it took a week or two, right? So there's kind of a scale. Um, so I think you know one of the reasons why we wanted to start you know day one in spring training, full enforcement, assessing penalties was to make sure we got through that adjustment period, those bumps and, 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 and that acclimation and setting new routines, you know, before we hit the regular season and, and these games start to matter. So hopefully by the time we hit opening day, right, these, these rules in some ways are an afterthought and guys are just used to, to playing with them, you know, in place. But I, I don't mean to put you guys on the spot, but it, with that being said, I'm going to put you on the spot here moving forward and ask you to have a little bit of a crystal ball. In AAA this year, we're going to have sort of the, the automated strike zone. And then sort of a hybrid from what we've heard is maybe a challenge system for half the year and then a full automated strike zone for the full year. Do either one of you do, uh, have an opinion on that? Is it an, something that's going to be inevitable? Is this something we're looking at in the future? Maybe not next year, but is this coming and something we should prepare for? Or is it something that you guys have a, a particular personal opinion on? Joe, I mean, I, I Coney, I saw the uh, the challenge system quite a bit last year and that was really intriguing and that seemed to be very well received by players coaches managers on-field personnel alike uh where it was kind of a hybrid and uh the pitcher or the catcher or the hitter could use his challenge tap on his head it takes about four seconds and and they you know overturn or they keep i found that or keep the call as it stands on the field i found that to be really interesting and intriguing and very well received by the, the players and the, the people on the field. Um, it was, it, there was also a, a kind of a unique thing that was going on. You talk to some clubs, they wouldn't let their catcher, uh, they wouldn't let their pitcher challenge. They'd only let the catcher challenge. 
And you, you know, you talk to other or other clubs where it was like, okay, you know, this hitter, every time he challenges, he's wrong. So you can't use the challenge because if you, if you're right, you get to keep it. But if you're wrong, you lose it for your team. So you, you know, some teams would run out of challenges by the sixth inning and, you know, you need it in the ninth and they're like, dude, you challenged two pitches and you were wrong both times. So I thought that that was a really intriguing um, one and one that was fun to watch. Joe, Joe, last one before we let you go. Go ahead, David. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was going to give Joe a chance to chime in on that as a, as a former pitcher. I, I actually like the idea of a challenge system as well, as opposed to a full automated strike zone. I mean, uh, your opinion as a former pitcher. Yeah, I, I'm with you, right? I, I, some of pitching to me, and, and, and maybe you feel similarly, was the art, right? And, and working with the catcher and trying to gain the trust of the umpire and things like that, right? Moving just off corners, you know, as you can establish that you had command that day. Um, so, you know, if we can maintain that kind of human element and a little bit more of that, more of that artistry, however, still use this, this kind of really cool, incredible tool that's been developed uh, in an engaging way, I think that's best case scenario. And, and one thing, you know, I agree with everything we're all said. Another thing that was, was really clear when you're in the, in the stands and watching these games is entertaining, right? There'd be a close pitch and everyone in the stadium's like, oh, they're going to challenge, you know, and then, then, you know, the umpire would turn around and signal and everybody would turn to the board and watch the video and, and see where the pitch was located. It's pretty neat. And I think it like brings the fans to like kind of into this process a little bit more than previously and, and was, was pretty cool. And, and I, and I liked it a lot. Uh, last one for each of you. If, if you each had to pick one way or another, do you believe that we will see a game end this season on a clock violation? Uh, I don't. Not not a regular season game. Obviously, we saw one in this in spring training this year. Um, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if it does, but I don't think it's going to happen. I, I I agree with Joe. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen either. I think what we saw in the minor leagues is guys, players acclimated and adapted, and um, you know less and less violations. I don't I don't think that'll happen either. I will say this: I wish I had the um, um, ABS challenge system for the the hat trick that Coney gave me. That one time <laughs> in Seattle, he gave me a hat trick. I think we faced you after you threw the perfect game. It might have been the outing after, and I think you threw out like another eight inning or nine inning performance. I, there was one of those pitches I know was just a little bit off, Connie. Yeah, yeah, that around the plate backdoor slider. Definitely. That was the one. That's right to the, the top one. of the helmet. Yes, <laughs> I agree. I, I agree with both of you. I can't thank you enough. I think you guys are doing an outstanding job of explaining this. It's a difficult task. As, as we implement, you know, radical changes to the game of baseball, but for the better betterment of the game, the dead time is going away, but nonetheless, you guys are doing really yeoman's work and explaining this and, and crystallizing exactly from a player's perspective, hitter pitcher. I, I, I can't thank you guys enough uh, for coming on and, uh, and keep doing the job you're doing because uh, you're, you're growing the game and you guys are helping explain it and implement this. So uh, kudos to you. My hats off to both of you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. much. Thank you for that, Tony. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for leading the charge with all this change. Uh, we'll talk to you down the line. Thank Sounds you. Good. Looking forward Thank to it. Thank you. A big thanks to Raul and Joe for coming on there. They straightened a lot of things out, and I think the listeners just going to come away uh, a bit more educated about what we're seeing here in a spring training ball. And uh, David, one other thing that we are seeing here at the outset of spring training, and it has to do with the pitchers and probably figuring out ways that they can shrink some time in between pitches and be set, not worry about whether or not they're committing a violation is that PitchCom, which came into effect last year, uh, most notably catchers 
calling the pitches with the pitcher wearing the device in their hat. We're seeing a few pitches as we move on to the Yankee talks. There are three Yankee pitchers. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It's it's Luis Severino, Clay Holmes. Who who's the other one? Is it Wandy Peralta, James? I'm not sure. Okay, I think there there was another one that was specifically stated, but I know for a fact that Luis Severino and Clay Holmes they're both calling their pitchers with the pitchcom device on their belts. It's like a beeper for the pitcher. So they're shrinking some time there. Could this technique? be for every pitcher or only a select few? Like what are the pros and cons of wearing pitch com as a pitcher on the mound? I would assume that maybe Nestor Cortez might be one of those guys too, judging from what we saw in the all-star game last year. And that, to me, that would be my preference in the future would be they could actually talk to each other. You know, what do you think? What, what should we go with here? You know, that kind of interaction between pitcher and catcher is something that, that I thought was a relevation in, in the all-star game last year. So you have to have the right personality as a pitcher, somebody who, who really wants to drive the bus, so to speak, but not all the time. There were several times throughout the course of a game where I, I didn't want to think, or I was, I was worried about something else, you know, mechanics or execution. So I really relied on Joe Girardi or Jorge Posada or any number of catchers that I had in my career to sort of lead the way. And then sometimes I'd want to switch and lead the dance and say, you know, wait a minute, uh, this is what I want to do. And to have that ability with the pitch com on, on yourself, on your person really is a big deal, whether you use it or not to have the option to be able to do it uh, is, is a nice option is a nice option to have uh, for any pitcher, whether you use it or not. But I, I would imagine that Nestor Cortez would be a guy that, that would really thrive with, with having the pitch come and being able to call pitches himself throughout, throughout certain parts of the game. The, the important thing is that you want to have the opportunity. The pitcher has the option to do it and they can go back and forth. Like you said, Coney, by the way, the three Yankee pitchers, Luis Severino, Clay Holmes and Domingo Herman. Okay. With the, with the pitch com there. And Coney, I wanted to ask you about this because watching games and seeing the pitcher with the pack on, on their belt loop or, or right underneath their glove on their wrist. Is that something that might feel awkward for a pitcher for something that's new to have this as small as it is, it's still a, a new piece of gear that you're having on you. Yeah. I, I, there's a little bit of an adjustment period, but it, it looks pretty lightweight. You, you should, it should be something that you could get used to, especially if you feel like it's a weapon that's going to help you. It, you. It's it's not something that, that's going to be viewed as cumbersome. If, if you really feel like you could use this thing and it could really help speed you up, especially with the new clock rules. So I think it's an, an, an easy adjustment for most pitchers. You just have to find out, where the best spot is to put it, whether it's on your belt, on your glove, and how to get to it quickly and how to push the right buttons. David, you in the past do a great job explaining to viewers during games about throwing pitches with conviction and how important that is. And obviously it makes sense. I feel like there's a delicacy with all of this because if you're a pitcher, you're calling for a certain pitch. Yeah, that's the one you probably believe in most. But will the catcher have the ability to, to shake the pitcher off, right? I mean, like you said, you put a lot of trust in your catchers in your career. I think that's something that shouldn't be going away. So could we find ourselves, and do you think it's probably necessary to have the catcher have that type of ability? That's a great question, Shaq, and, and especially catchers nowadays that spend so much time in the analytics room before the game and, and sort of uh, – trying to, to, to memorize all this data and all the tendencies of the opposing lineups. 
that that does could play a part. You know, it'd be funny if we'd see a, you know, a catcher and a pitcher step up and start pushing buttons back at each other, you know, yes and no, yes and no. So will we see that? I don't know, but yeah, that that's an interesting point that that could possibly happen where, you know, the pitchers always had the veto power by and large, the vast majority of the time, the catcher will respect that, but there could be a situation game on the line where the catcher might want to say, Hey, wait, think about that. Hold on. You know, that there's a timeout that could be called. Obviously you're limited in, you know, how many step-offs you have as a pitcher or whether you can call timeout or, you know, obviously with the clock, it's a, it's a sensitive area now, but yes, that could present an opportunity where a catcher could come right back at you with a button saying, wait, what about this? Uh, what about this button? You know, and, and let, let's think about this a little bit before we make this decision. So pitchers wearing pitch comm and calling the shots around Major League Baseball spring training. Something to watch out for. Again, the three pitchers in Yankees camp that you go watch for that. Luis Severino, uh, Domingo Herman, and Clay Holmes. Others may be involved as well. But something else that is catching a lot of attention in Yankees spring training and probably something you should keep an eye on is Anthony Volpe. I mean, this kid in limited action so far has shown what he can do. He's showing off all the all the tools. He's showing off the wheels. He's showing off the the bat, the the barrel accuracy, so to speak. He's showing the versatility, not just playing shortstop. I know they had him at second base. Aaron Boone was talking about how there are plans to have him play third base as well. It's been all positive. How would you rate the chances of Anthony Volpe making this Yankees team on opening day? He's doing what he has to do. And I think in his first game, he showed just that that knack, that that it quality, right? That's hard to quantify it, it, the, his feel for the game, get a base hit, barrel one up, steal second, steal third, read the pitcher, his knack for, for impacting a baseball game, uh, his defensive ability all over the field, the play he made it play in second base in last night's game, throwing the ball to home plate, just that, that feel for the game that you cannot teach. It has nothing to do with exit velocity. It has nothing to do with skill set. It's obviously the middle part of the game that that I think he's really proving that he has, and that is really impressing that coaching staff. So, long, 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 long-winded answer. The short answer is probably not, but you never know because you can't say never with a guy like Volpe who who really is ready. He feels like he's ready mentally to to be there and impact the game. And the question is is when the Yankees do their probabilities and when they make their bets, is, is Anthony Volpe on the team right now make them a better team? Is there a trade out there to be had that maybe brings in another starting pitcher and, and increases the probabilities for the Yankees to become a better team? I think all of those factors weigh into the decision-making, but they don't have to keep him right now. They can keep him in AAA for now. They don't have to make that roster move because he's not protected by forty by the 40-man. So that gives him a little flexibility to push this off down the road a little bit. but he's knocking on the door and he's opening eyes and it's not just because of his ability and his skill set. It's about, it's about his makeup. That's the thing. I think that's so enticing about Anthony Volpe right now is the type of character he has and his feel for the game. His makeup uh, assessment has been off the charts by people on and off the field. I think, sorry to pour a little cold water on it, but he's checking every box, but you don't want to rush him too much either. So here's a guy who, as, as well as he's been playing, he really only has a month above double-A ball. So in triple-A last year, he understandably took a little bit of a step back. He hit 236 with the Rail Riders, struck out 30% of the time. I think you would want to have him start off in triple-A again and then 
build him back up. So that way he's killing it in AAA. Then he's ready to jump into the big leagues. This could also be changed by guys on the big league level. What happens with Glaber Torres? Is DJ LeMahieu healthy? Does Donaldson have a down year again? Their performance is going to inform this too. Yeah, Volpe's doing everything that he possibly could to have uh, to convince the Yankees not to say no. Um, if he keeps it up, it'll be interesting as the narrative continues all throughout the month of March. Yankees are very committed to their plans. Uh, they like their their plans. They like what's in place. They they like firming things up that way. I think if anybody is able to change their minds, it's probably Anthony Volpe. Uh, will it happen? To be determined. There's still plenty of weeks left to go uh, here in spring training. All right, uh, David, where are you at this week? Are you, do you have more games on uh, on ESPN? No, no more for ESPN, but I will be in Tampa the, the week of the 6th through the 10th and do a couple of games there and hang out in camp and get a feel for the Yanks. So looking forward to that. Get to drive over from the East Coast of Florida to the West Coast and go see the Yankees in, in Tampa and see what happens. So you're going to be there for the games on the 6th and the 8th? I'm filling in for Meredith. Uh, I will be there. Yes. Uh, okay. and, and the, uh, for that week, really, I'll be around, uh, in and out doing some corporate sponsor stuff too, as well, but, uh, going to hang around camp for a week or so. Cool. So I'll see you down in spring training. How about that? Sounds good. All right. James, can you shovel my driveway when I'm done? <laughs> On it, boss. <laughs> no way. I'll this be, stuff's uh, I'll be in Stanford working the spring training games with you guys. Uh, we have Monday, uh, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday. So we're all lined up for, for some spring training action on yes. Very nice. Uh, spring training continuing here throughout the majors. And if you are from the Northeast area, like James and I right now, do not worry. The snow is going away in no time. Uh, big thanks to Raul Banez and Joe Martinez for joining us this week, giving us fantastic insight. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you don't miss a beat with what we're streaming each week here on Toe in the Slab. For David, for James, for our outstanding producer, Dan Work, this is Justin. We'll talk to you next week here on Toe in the Slab, pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. Take care. <laughs>